Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backchat. 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 Your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed, you are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, your freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. As always, we're going to give you the news you may not have heard on your airwaves. That's right. Up first, we have Osman Chu, a research fellow at Per Capita, which is a think tank dedicated to fighting inequality in Australia. He'll be discussing the spike in racism against the Australian Asian communities since coronavirus. Then we have Natalie Shahada, founder and editor of sustainable style publication Tommy Magazine. She'll be explaining how local retailers have been affected recently and what the fashion industry will look like after quarantine. And as always, we want to hear from you. Have you been tempted by online shopping instead of buying local and sustainable um, you know, clothing during isolation? I personally have bought... $100 worth of Victoria's Secret underwear for literally no one to see in isolation. <laughs> so I'm really happy with my life choice. That's excellent. I've completely let myself go. You've let yourself go? Yeah. No more No more buying anything? Nothing. This, you're, all of you should be very grateful this is an audio medium and not a visual one. <laughs> I feel the same. I'm actually um, planning to secretly go get my eyelashes done today. Ooh. Which is, I think, why? allowed to go, you're going to someone's place. And I don't know why, but it's just, it's for me, you know? And I, I still do a lot of um, video meetings and I just... I. I think every morning in isolation, I wake up like feeling a little bit more like a little boy every single day. <laughs> my nails have come off, my lashes have come off, and I'm buying Victoria's Secret underwear for $5 a pop. Well, that's a great. Send me that link. I, we're, no, we're not promoting it. <laughs> we're okay, not, guys, we're not. Sorry, sorry. We're going to talk all about sustainable um, and local fashion during isolation. Correct. And we want to hear from you. Uh, are you online shopping? What's been your retail therapy during this uh, coronavirus crisis? Join in on the conversation and text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. To show us all what a beep lying, beep backstabbing, beep treacherous, beep beep she is. Thanks, Colin. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. The coronavirus pandemic has seen racism against Australia's East Asian community increase in recent months. Viral posts have captured slurs, threats, physical intimidation and public attacks often perpetrated by strangers. A survey by the Asian Australian... A survey by the Asian Australian Alliance revealed a 178 incidents of coronavirus-related racism in just a two-week window. But unsurprisingly, a large number of these cases are not reported. Our first guest, Osman Chu, is a research fellow at Social Justice and Inequality Think Tank per capita. Hi, Osman. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. You worked with the Asian Australian Alliance to put out a survey to help Australians tell stories of racism they've encountered during the coronavirus pandemic. What did your findings show? Um, so what we found is um, that we've been able to get about 300 reports since we launched the survey last month. And I think it's shown that there's been quite a range of experiences of racism um, by Asian Australians. Um, and we found that over 90% of those who reported it to us did not report it at all. Um, so it's quite clear that as there's big concerns about coronavirus has grown, there have been a lot of incidents of racism, but that because of limited data, we didn't know much about it, and a lot of them were going unreported. Mm. So can you share a few of the stories you've collected? Yeah, so there's been a range of 
incidents that have been reported to us. Um, so a lot of the times the victims tend to be women who are verbally abused um, by strangers in public places. Um, I thought I'd share two or three of them that really stood out. So one person who reported it, um, what they experienced to us, said that an older lady spat at them, um, called them an effing filthy animal that eats bats, and told them that 60 Minutes in the News had informed her that Chinese people were taking over Australia. Um, another person waiting for a bus was taunted, called COVID, and felt intimidated to the point where they felt they had to use their umbrella to protect themselves. Um, and it's not just um, younger Asian Australians who are feeling this. Um, another person who reported um, to us that their elderly mother was just going about daily business, walking in um, her local community. Her path was blocked and she was racially abused by a stranger and blamed for COVID. And it only stopped um, when some passers-by intervened. That's that's heart-wrenching to hear stories like that. Uh, a majority of the racist incidents were committed against women. Uh, do you think there's a gendered aspect to all of this? I think there's a, there definitely seems to be a gendered aspect. And I think there's a bit of a, a power relationship where people see um, Asian Australian women as you know easier targets. Um, it's, it's hard to know at this stage what exactly is driving it, but I think there's a clear trend that they, for some reason, um, these people seem to think they are easy targets to um, perpetrate racism against. So I guess this is really nothing new. The Australian Asian community has experienced this kind of racism since the 90s, if not before. How have these incidents affected the community? So I think it's uh, affected them in different ways. So... Um, I think for some people, it sort of taps into older fears about anti-Asian racism that stem from the 80s and 90s. Um, I know within some Chinese communities, there are already anxieties because of the foreign interference debate, and this has really made it so much worse. And there's a particular fear because a lot of these incidents of racism that people are experiencing are happening at random, solely on the basis of their race. Um, and the other aspect to it is that there are is a whole cohort of younger Asian Australians um, who don't really remember or weren't alive in the 80s and 90s and are experiencing what is quite overt and confrontational racism for the first time in their lives. And I think what makes it really confronting is because the sense that you're seen as Australian or even equal as a human being is taken away when you experience it and you really never forget how it makes you feel. Mm. A lot of the racist attacks on Asian Australians have gone underreported. Why do you think that is? So I suspect there's two key reasons why. I think firstly that many don't think it's serious enough because it, it may not be a physical assault or it may be more of a hassle than it's worth because they don't actually know what will happen if it's reported. And secondly, there's also not a lot of clarity about who to report to. Um, you go to the police. You go to the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board or the Australian Human Rights Commission. Do you need to go and report to all of them or only one of them? Um, and that's, I think, one area where work needs to be done. 
You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We've got Osman Chu from Per Capita Think Tank to discuss coronavirus-related racism against Australia's East Asian diaspora. Now, if you want to join in on the conversation, text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at Backchat FBI. Now, Osman, do you think that there is enough legal protections in place to support people who report these incidents to the police? So people can report um, these incidents to the police. So you can report hate-motivated incidents on the racist base to New South Wales Police either by calling them or submitting um, an online report through their community portal. Um, I guess one of the challenges is that because these incidents are often happening at random, um, unless you, and by strangers, unless you have a recording or you're able to identify who the individual is, it's often very hard to do anything further. Mm. Um, And also, I mean, a lot of the other mechanisms, and I guess that's really one of the big challenges um, when these incidents are happening and there's really no way of following up or holding those individuals who perpetrate it to account. So, Osman, you're a research fellow at the Per Capita Think Tank. Can you tell us more about what they do? Uh, per capita? Yes. Yeah, so per capita is a think tank that um, focuses on um, pro- putting forward progressive policies to tackle inequality. So a lot of the, I think, focus more recently has been on issues around employment and also housing and also um, how Australia can be made a more equal place. Bye. So what Wait, are your... Oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> hey, Osmond, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. My dog's in the <laughs> background. Put him on air. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, hey, our last question, we'll let you get back to your pup. Um, yeah. But, you know, what are your future plans with the survey? So um, with the survey, we're hoping to use it to get a picture of the forms of racism, um, the form the form of this kind of anti-Asian racism is taking, who, where it's occurring and who it's impacting on. And with it, we can hopefully release some reports um, that you can show anti-Asian racism, that it's not isolated incidents. Um, it's a broader trend that's happening. And we can hopefully use it to educate and advocate um, that more needs to be done to help combat racism in Australia. Hey, Oz, um, we actually got a text in. I was wondering if you'd be happy to answer it. So we, we got um, Grace texting in who said, thanks for um, answering these tough questions. She wanted to know, you know, are there other forms of racism staying stable? Or are perpetrators shifting their targets? I guess it's, it's hard to know at this stage just because there isn't a great lot of um, data collection. And I, I think for a lot of people, unless you can actually have some kind of quantitative data that people suggest, oh, it's just anecdotal, we, we can't tell what's actually happening. Um, so I guess part of the purpose of this survey was to start collecting that data so we can find out if it's changing, you know, what, what is happening down on the ground. Mm. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Osmond. Okay, thanks for having me on.
That was Osman Chu from the inequality think tank per capita. He just spoke to us about an increase in racist attacks prompted by coronavirus pan- Are you okay? I'm fine. I, I'm sorry. Something was in the corner of my eye. Anyway, this is not funny. Coronavirus panic and how Australians can better educate themselves around race. Don't move that dial because we're going to be chatting to editor and eco-stylist Natalie Shahada about the sustainability of Australia's fashion industry next. But first, we're going to be playing a song. I know that FBI Radio has been playing the song a lot. But look, it's a banger. Our favorite drill group, 1-4, just released a single with US rapper ASAP Ferg. Isn't that nuts? ASAP Ferg went to Mount Druid. Mount Druid! Just to film this music video. It's awesome. Check it out. This is Say It Again. And here's a language warning. Enjoy. The Australian taxpayer even pays for the toilet paper she uses. Does she go down to the chemist to buy the tampons? Or is the Australian taxpayer paying for those as well? Fact chat, your alternative to talk back. It seems every part of the fashion industry has been turned on its head. Small businesses have closed up shop, global imports have been impacted, and yet online shopping has skyrocketed during quarantine. Talk about retail therapy. But the pandemic has shone a light on unethical consumerism while flagging the uncertainty for the future of fashion. Our first guest... She's not our first guest. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> second guest. <laughs> our second guest, Natalie Shahada, is an eco-stylist and founder of ethical fashion platform Tommy Magazine. Hi, Natalie. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> our absolute pleasure. It's so glad to, I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, so we'll dive straight in. What yeah. effect has the pandemic had on the fashion industry, especially local businesses in Sydney? I mean, I think when we're talking about local business in particular, one of the you know biggest effects we've seen is that retail businesses have been forced to close their bricks and mortar retail fronts. So, you know, like you guys kind of said in the intro, people have kind of had to really be faced with how to turn that bricks and mortar, um, you know, direct to consumer into an online platform. Um, a lot of people have already had this kind of digital platform. Um, and have been building the foundations of that for a really long time because obviously we know that digital um, and online online consumption is, you know, I guess the future. Um, but I think in terms of local businesses, the biggest thing that they've had to face is, you know, that kind of cash flow that they get mm-hmm. from their retail fronts and just kind of having to, to navigate what that means for staff and, um, you know, also paying rents, you know, while, while those retail fronts are still closed. So the Australian Fashion Council has found only a third of its members are confident of riding out the shutdown. So only a third. And 23% say they they might not recover once restrictions are lifted. What kind of measures are in place to support local stores? And are these enough? Yeah, so that was a really great survey that the Australian Fashion Council did. So they surveyed, I think, about 182 organisations. And actually 80% of companies said that they had been negatively uh, impacted, which is a really big percentage. Um, there's been like 86%, you know, drop in in-store consumer sales because of these closures. Um, and, you know, 75% of businesses said they're struggling to cover costs, you know, like we kind of said, lease obligations and, you know, um, staffing is a massive issue. So I think one of the biggest things that, you know, in terms of measures is, 75% of the respondents have said that they are going to access government financial support through JobKeeper programs and other initiatives as well. Um, there are a lot of grants as well happening at the moment. I know a lot of retailers are trying to apply for grants. But I think in terms of, you know, looking at it from a more kind of holistic perspective, 
I think what brands are really needing to do now is kind of go back to, you know, looking at their brand identity and really kind of looking at their core values. And, you know, obviously there's there's funding and there's things out there that they can access, which, you know, is also quite, um, you know, it, that's not a black and white thing either. There's always a grey area there too and businesses are constructed in many different ways. But I think what brands really need to do right now is kind of go back to the beginning and kind of really look at their foundation and think about how they want to operate, you know, in the fashion industry and and in the retail space if they still feel they want to um, and really think about what what kind of future they have and what they kind of want to contribute in, in the marketplace. Some Australian businesses that are normally producing stock overseas um, in overseas markets are now looking to come back onshore. So what are your thoughts about mm. that? I mean, I think it would be really great to see, you know, Australian manufacturing and textiles industry thrive again. And, you know, I will preface by saying that there are factories here. There aren't a lot of factories, but I think, you know, the biggest thing in terms of manufacturing locally um, in Australia is that we really need an investment in technology and infrastructure and that government support again. Um, you know, a lot of brands did that used to produce here, you know, did go offshore because they wanted to scale their business. And then in terms of, you know, when we talk about pricing and things like that, you know, um, you know, price per piece of garment is definitely cheaper when you go to offshore markets. And, you know, that's a conversation in itself. But I think, you know, the, glo- the fashion industry is a global industry and it reflects our culture. And there's also certain manufacturing, you know, techniques that are actually not available here in Australia. We're very limited in terms of... Um, in terms of skill as well, you know, we need the global fashion industry because we need those incredible artisans and those, um, you know, those craftspeople who are doing incredible embroidery and, you know, natural dyeing and, you know, incorporating all that kind of indigenous, um, you know, ancestral tradition um, into into clothing and in, into the making of our garments. And I think although it'd be incredible to, to have a more thriving, you know, industry here locally, I think it's really important that we think about the fashion industry as a global industry. Um, and also, you know, they, we need to really understand that in terms of Australian manufacturing, we have an aging population and these garment makers, you know, they have these skills, but the younger generation don't, they don't want to work in the rag trade, so to speak. And so these skills in terms of the Australian manufacturing industry are not being passed down to to the younger generation. So we really need to think about if we want a future here in the Australian manufacturing industry, that we need to, um, we need to skill people up. We need to, um, and train people and we need people who want to actually work in the industry as well. So that's something that I think is really important to think about too going forward. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We've got sustainable fashionista Natalie Shahada on the line chatting to us about what the industry will look like on the other side of the coronavirus. That's right. Earlier we asked you to text us in on 0409945945 and tell us if you've been tempted by online shopping with you know, online shopping sites that probably you shouldn't really support instead of getting your clothes <laughs> sustainably, um, bought you know, sustainably and locally. And we actually got a text in, um, Natalie. So Karishma from Newtown has said, mm-hmm. it can be really difficult making sustainable fashion choices when the ASOS app is right 
there with lots of ellipses. <laughs> How do I stop when it's so cheap and easy? And look, that's a really good question, Natalie. You know, more businesses are moving online because of the lockdown. You know, what kind yep. of effect do you think this will have on fast fashion and sustainability? I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot to, I mean, to, to address that question. Yes, you know, <laughs> there, is, there is a lot happening online. And I think, you know, it's only gotten noisier as well. You, you know, you're on Instagram. I think they've reported this incredible, like, you know, this astronomical, you know, increase in engagement on, on Instagram. You see so many lives happening now. But I think, you know, we need to use, technology for good Um, and I think there's so many ways that I guess the fashion industry can adopt technology and I think you know um, you know we need to kind of think about the fashion industry digital and technology hand in hand and I think at the moment you know we're seeing like a lot of incredible brands go to online um, to, to do things that they've never they've always had to do in person so fashion is this very tactile you know it's a tactile product and so you're seeing designers um, using these tools to um, you know create patterns and make these 3D patterns online now because they're not able to to do it in person through draping on mannequins and, and all these kinds of things so I think it's really important that we you know, use technology um, going forward to, I guess, also fix some of the inefficiencies in the industry when we're talking about, you know, waste and things as well. Like, there are a lot of great things that we can do with technology and even in terms of just transparency for brands as well and collecting um, collecting uh, data in factories, you know, there's um, some great kind of innovation in terms of, you know, being able to, I guess, you know, monitor what factories are doing and and looking at those kind of complex supply chains and understanding more exactly every single path of that 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 supply chain and where our clothes um, are going. You know, we say that uh, our clothes kind of touch 101 different hands, one piece of garment. So it's you know there is technology there to be able to show us what is actually happening with that garment along the way. So, before we let you go, how can we transform the industry so it's both ethical and environmentally sustainable? And what can individuals do on a smaller scale whilst we're still in lockdown? So, I think it's really important that we go back to something that is basic, but I think that we've kind of lost along the way. And that's going back to really focus on ourselves. You know, we know that, yes, the, you know, the fashion industry is this, um, you know, very expansive industry and it you know employs so many people but there are people behind the brands there are people behind those companies there are people behind these small businesses and I think it's really important even as consumers for us to go okay look at ourselves and really look at our values and our principles and use this time you know to really think about what is important to me you know what kind of future do I want to be a part of do I want to be a part of a future where women are exploited? Because that's the reality of our clothing. You know, there are 50 million garment workers that are impacted by this right now that have no access to financial security or social support or hand sanitization or water. Um, and I think we really, you know, clean water infrastructures. And I think it's really important to think about, you know, what kind of future do we want to be a part of? And, you know, as a consumer and as a citizen of the world, you know, support those brands that are are doing, you know, going to those lengths to, to do better and, you know, research and find out the information. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Natalie. 
Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. <laughs> That's been an absolute pleasure. That was eco fashion stylist Natalie Shahata on how we can support local businesses and the sustainable fashion movement right now, up and onwards. <laughs> you can check up. You can check out the Pay Up campaign, which holds fashion brands accountable when it comes to sustainability, and we'll be tweeting out that link. That's right. Well, that's all we've got time for the show today. Another big thanks to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, Pip Leeson, Millie Roberts, and Vanessa Lim. And thanks again to our guests, Natalie Shahada and Osman Chu. We'll catch you next week. But before we go, we're going to play you a song. And this week, it's my favorite song. It is your favorite song. Yes, we're going to be playing another Australian talent. It is Young Franco and Shami's Song of the Week. This is Juice by Young Franco and Pal. Enjoy.